This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. I have an amazing mantra that will give you so much power and put you on the path to success and personal fulfillment. Losing is learning. That's right. Losing is learning. Now, life contains failure. That's built in. Things go wrong. You might be in a football match and you lose or you are up for a promotion and someone else gets it. In that sense, you've lost. It's possible that a relationship ends, someone that you were very fond of and they leave you. You've lost them. So losing is part of life. But losing is learning. It's the ultimate gift because it allows you to focus on what went wrong and fix it. It's the ultimate diagnostic tool. So for example, let's say you've lost a tennis match. If you take the view, if you say that mantra in your head, losing is learning, then you're going to reflect on the weaknesses of your game. And the player managed to do something with my serve and something with my forehand and something with my backhand. And you take the fact that you lost that game to make yourself better and to not repeat those mistakes and to work on the weak areas and get stronger in those areas. That's only possible if you lose. I can tell you that as a comedian, if a gig doesn't go well and they don't laugh, it quickly tells you what jokes don't work. And normally the material, the words just feels like too many words. It's too long. It's too waffly. It's like crunch that down. Whereas a friendly audience that laugh at everything will not really tell you if the joke is funny. So losing is learning. It's a really good thing because obviously failure is part of life. And the mantra losing is learning allows you to really own that failure, not just accept it. Acceptance is important, but to actually say, I love it. I love the fact that I lost that tennis game because I'm going to be a better tennis player as a result of having been defeated. Success teaches you nothing. The worst thing you can do in a work situation, for example, let's just say you do an amazing job on something and the boss says, do that again. And you're like, how do I do that again? I don't know what I did. It it just went well. Whereas if something goes horribly wrong and you submit a company report and it's full of mistakes and it's a disaster, and you lose a client. It's like, it's very clear. We can now go through this and see why this debacle actually happened. And we can put systems in place to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, I'll give you a very mundane example. I was working on a television script the other day and it's a live document. And I put a lot of work into some changes into this script. Okay, fastidious work with extra words and different citations. It was laborious and it was a live document which others had access to. And I was just in the middle of this document and I hadn't saved it. And then another colleague, I think I went online, I came off the document and looked, I was looking something up on the internet. And then I went back to the live document and someone else was in it. Okay, so someone else had jumped into it, which meant that the work I'd done hadn't been saved. 
Now I texted this person saying, can you get out of the document? I've lost all my changes. And she was really apologetic. She said, I'm so, so sorry. And she's like, I'm in trouble and I'm in the doghouse. And I said, no, not at all. Far from it. I'm very grateful that you did that. First of all, it was my bad for not saving the work. And I've introduced a new protocol now, which is that when I'm in one of these live documents, about every five minutes, I'll just hit the save button. Okay, just as a little tradition, as a, as a habit, as a discipline, um, that even if someone then does jump in, you've at least saved most of it. And this person, by creating this setback of all that lost work, has gifted me the most wonderful thing, because now that will never happen again. It can never happen again. I was so horrified at losing that work. It was so uncomfortable. It was so painful. I'd never want to go through that again. And therefore, I will have this new system of saving regularly. And she's gifted that to me. So it wasn't her bad at all. And I must thank her. And I did thank her for it. And that's the point about losing is learning. So I lost that work and I learned from it. It's a spectacular mantra. Losing is learning. Anytime anything goes wrong in your life, just keep saying it in your head. I want you after this podcast, spend the rest of your day just thinking losing is learning. And it means, as I say, you don't just accept it, but you're going to you're going to own it. Right. You're going to embrace it. So there you go. Did you hear that little signal on my uh, on my laptop there? That's because my son is trying to call me. So I've just silenced him now. And uh, that was a mistake. So I'll make sure now that the laptop is always muted when we do this podcast. Losing is learning. Do it, baby. It will change your life. And the wonderful thing is that this appetite for losing will make you less afraid of failure, which means that you'll be more inventive, more brave, more bold, more innovative. You'll take more risks, all from having that mentality of losing is learning. Never stop learning. If you you have a period of time where you're never losing, I don't think that you're rolling the dice enough. It could be the case that you need to lose more than you do. Uh, This happens with very, very famous, successful people who are on a winning run. Shall I mention Elton John at this point? I think we should. He had a ridiculous streak. And I think it was was about 10 albums that all just sold millions of copies between 1970 and 1975. And then I think it was like the 11th album. It didn't do very well. And it was a bit spooky for old Elton because, you know, he hadn't experienced failure for five years. And he was quite relieved when it happened because he thought, oh, thank God for that. So now it's it's, it's happened. You know, I mean, it's broken the spell. I mean, I don't think it was pleasant at first, but it allowed him to recalibrate and to go, yes, I am human and I am impervious. So I am I, I am, you know, subject to life's rigors just like everyone else. And um, it was a really good thing for him. It was healthy. And then he started thinking about his private life and he looked at, he thought it's not only about material success and about record sales. Um, I would like to have a personal life and I'd like to have some free time. And he went and bought a football club and he just rebalanced his life. But it was failure. It was actually the album sales beginning to dip at the end of that winning run, which for him was something of a blessing. And that's what we have to do is we just have to embrace that and losing is learning. However, can I just say one thing? This podcast is very much about you achieving your potential and doing really well. I really want you to just tap into 
who and what you can be. So I'm very ambitious for you. I'm thinking really big for you because you are unique. You're talented. You are fabulous. You are sensational. Your potential is unlimited. But I'm not saying just you should be a loser. So do not be confused. When I say losing is learning, okay, I don't want you to love losing. I want you to embrace it and I want you to own it. I want you to accept it. I want you to understand it's part of life. But if you lose and you don't analyze why, you've lost its magic, you've lost its power. So there are people who are unsuccessful and they have wretched, unfulfilled lives. And I guess you could be unkind and call that person a loser. Well, that's because they're very good at the losing bit. They're not so hot on the learning. So you need all three words. You need losing is learning. You need the learning bit and you need the losing bit. And if you don't learn, so let's say something goes wrong in a relationship is a good example. Okay, so if you're in a relationship and then it ends and then you're in another relationship and it ends and then you're in a third relationship and it ends, there's a bit of a pattern emerging here. Let's say they always dump you. Um, it could be that you're doing the losing bit, but you're not really doing the learning. OK, so you need to be honest with yourself. Analyze. I've been dumped three times now. Uh, why is that? Well, could I made could I have made more of an effort with my appearance? Um, did I listen to them? Did I engage with what they were saying or was I self-obsessed? Um, was I affectionate? Did I tell them I loved them? You know, you'll go through and you'll have a think, an honest think with yourself. You could even reach out to an ex and say, listen, hey, how are you? Um, I know you're my ex now, but could you do me a big favor? Could you tell me the things that made you leave me so that I can learn from that and not repeat those mistakes? And you're very often fine. I mean, it happens in marriages. Sometimes people find bliss on the third marriage. I mean, it's not ideal, is it? You'd rather nail it in your first marriage, but Sometimes it works for number two or number three. And it's because they've been on that journey. They've made mistakes in previous relationships. And husband number three or wife number three is very lucky because they are a beneficiary of all of that learned experience, that wisdom that you've accumulated. It's a beautiful thing. So you've got to do that learning. And that's why if it's in a work setting or let's say it's sport, let's say it's anything, you can take a little journal you can write down. Let's say you have a problem at work and something went badly wrong. Why didn't you just get a book? Do you remember when I talked in the previous episode about having a nice notebook with different coloured pens? Because fun stationery shouldn't be limited to children. You can have some lovely pens, okay? And green can signify one aspect of your life and red can signify another. That'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? But get your journal or fire up your laptop. Um... Or even talk it through with a friend and just analyze. Right, I had a bad day at work. Everything went wrong. Why did it go wrong? How can I prevent that from happening again? What systems can I put in place so that I don't have a bad light day like that again? Um, I'll give you a lovely Jose Mourinho metaphor. I think I might have mentioned it in a previous show, but it, it bears repeating, which is that he joined one particular football club. I think it was when he joined Spurs. And uh, they said, you know, what are you going to bring to the to the club and everything? It was his first press conference. And he said, well, he said, um, I won't make the I won't make um, the mistakes I've made in the past. But I will make new ones 
And I think that's really, really interesting and very smart. So he's acknowledging that he will make mistakes, that he's that he's fallible. But what he won't do is he won't make previous mistakes because he'll have he'll have lost and learned. So let's imagine, for example, that he substituted a goalkeeper at half time and it disrupted the team. Well, he rolled the dice, he gambled, it really backfired, confused the players. So he's like, well, I will not do that again. I will n- I'm not going to substitute the goalkeeper again because that really backfired. But then that becomes like a superpower because that's like this valuable thing that he knows that the other manager doesn't. So the team is playing another team and the other manager doesn't know that if you change goalkeeper at half time that it's going to backfire. He hasn't he hasn't got that wonderful rich experience of having lost and made a mistake. So actually, the more you lose, as long as you've learned from it, you're better than the other people. It makes you better. Losing makes you better. Losing is the special source. Losing is the magic. Losing is how you get to the top, but only if you learn at the same time. Wonderful. Um, Let's talk about food, shall we? I've got a really simple way of telling if food is good or not. And it's to do with its original temperature. So if you're not sure whether food is good or bad, try having it at the wrong temperature. Okay, and I'll give you a really simple, good example, which is beer. Okay, and I I remember my lovely mother-in-law. I visited her and she had these really nice Austrian beers. But the beer, right, came out of a cupboard. Can you imagine? This beer came out of a cupboard in a room, not out of the fridge. Now, I'm all about the cold beers. I'm obsessed with cold beer. And for me, it's not enough that it's in the fridge. I will put the beer in the freezer 15, 20 minutes before I drink it. It goes from the fridge, which is already cold, and it gets an extra chill in the freezer. NGL, that means I'm not going to lie, but just the first letter of each of those words, one after the other. NGL, not going to lie. It's a bit like OMG, and that means, oh my God, but just the first letter of each of the words in a row. It saves a lot of time, and it's very cool. And um, yeah, I just, for me, beer's got to be really cold, right? So this lovely lady, she takes out a beer. I'm sure, would you like a beer? Oh, yes, please. And she goes to the cupboard. She takes out a room temperature beer. Can you imagine anything worse? Anyway, I tried it. It was insanely delicious. And I have since had that beer very cold. And it's also insanely delicious. And this is where I developed the theory that if a food or a drink is good, it can be enjoyed at any temperature. It's like, yes, beer should be cold, even the good one. But if it's good enough, it'll taste great at room temperature. And that is that is a phenomenal thing for all food. So, for example, let me give you the difference between McDonald's French fries. Okay, I mean, I can't lie. They are they are delicious hot. I think McDonald's French fries fresh out of the. Isn't it great when you watch them? You watch them make them right. They've come out of the deep fryer. They shake them onto that metal thing and then they put the salt on and then it goes into the little holder and then they hand it over to you in a bag and they're hot. The bag is hot. The chips are hot. Steaming. Amazing. It's not so good when they've been on the rack for a few minutes 
or they've come off the rack and they go into your bag and then you don't eat them for maybe five minutes and they're kind of like warmish, but they go a bit soggy. Well, try having room temperature cold McDonald's chips. Inedible, absolutely inedible. They've got to be hot, otherwise you can't get them down you. That is the diagnostic tool that will tell you that they are not good, that that they're not, that it's not great food. If it can only be enjoyed, it's the same with now crap beer, for example, right? So let's imagine you've got a real sort of supermarket, crappy, sort of pissy beer. Okay, cheap supermarket, own brand beer, low quality rubbish. Um, that's going to taste fine cold, but at room temperature, undrinkable. And that's the difference. So it's a diagnostic tool. Um, it works for so many things. For example, ice cream. I mean, ice cream is is nice, isn't it? A good ice cream, even even if you just had it as a liquid form, it would still taste pretty good. But a McDonald's milkshake melted. Welcome to hell. Um, things that taste great cold, very well cooked. Roast potatoes. I love cold roast potatoes out of the fridge. But you see the difference. McDonald's potatoes cold inedible. Homemade roast potatoes, ideally in duck or goose fat or lard. You're welcome. Absolutely delicious. Do you know what I love to do? It's a great snack. And I know they're carbohydrates, by the way. So if you're trying to lose weight and you're low carb, then don't have the potatoes. But once you've hit your target weight, then you can bring a bit of carb back in. And I do indulge in a, in a few potatoes from time to time. And out of the fridge, what I do is I get I get cold like next day roast potatoes, cut them in half. And I do a little bit of the grinder with some pink Himalayan salt. Pink Himalayan salt is absolutely delicious. And then some mayonnaise. And I like avocado oil mayonnaise. It's delicious. But mayonnaise, and what you do is you just take the cold potato, which has got salt on it, and then you scoop it into the mayonnaise and then you eat it cold potato mayonnaise salt in your mouth is a world of pleasure you've got to try it but that means the potatoes are good those are good potatoes because they can be enjoyed of course they're amazing when they're hot and crispy great when they're cold uh, it's the same for meats you know cold meat hot meat cold meat it's just always good hot fish cold fish always good so it's the test it's the diagnostic for good or bad food and you'll think you'll find that very highly processed crappy food needs to be served oh yeah like you know bad pizza have you ever had cold pizza which is also low quality pizza it's inedible but let's imagine it's some amazing homemade italian pizza that's been flung in the air by a man called giovanni and it's just a great wheat with great water done done on a great pizza oven with fabulous ingredients right you can eat that cold out of the fridge the next day it'll be delicious but a cold Pizza Hut pizza or Domino's? I don't think so. Thanks, but no thanks. Now, let me give you a couple of bits and pieces. Um, this is a really simple one. It's really, really low, low tech life hack, but I like it. And it was a few weeks ago. So I like to work sometimes with music on and I've got my little headphones and they go in my ear. I've, if you're if you're watching, if you're listening, I'll describe them. But they're these little in-ear headphones and they're Bluetooth. And I put them in my ear and I have music playing 
and I do the work and sometimes I just find it it, it it just lifts me a little bit. I think when you listen to music, you get a shot of adrenaline, you get a bit of dopamine, you get a chemical hit from music, like a very low level. And I think that's probably quite good for productive work, especially if it's really boring work. Let's say you're doing admin and invoicing or paperwork. I think a bit of music's lovely. Um, but so I put these in and I realized they were out of power and I had work to do. So they're out of power and I'm, I just had to get on with my work. And I realized after 10, 15 minutes that I still had them in, right? So I'm wearing the headphones, but there's no music. I've just, I'm wearing headphones with, with no music. They're switched off. And it's a lovely thing. So if you're in the office, if you're in a cafe um, and you've got something to do, just put your, your headphones on, right? You can have the over the ear ones or the in the ear ones and don't switch them on. Just, just it's a bit like earplugs, really. But you just have them in your ear with no sound and you'll find it insulates you from your environment and it creates a little bubble and it will help you to concentrate. And I think it's almost a bit like meditation. There's something quite peaceful about it. The headphones, the earphones in your ear, little pocket, this little bubble of quiet. You can still hear the background because you're not playing loud music, but not as strongly. It takes the edges off it. And so quite often now, if I have to concentrate, I just put the headphones on with no podcast, no radio, no music, just silence. And it's a lovely thing. So try that. Try using headphones and not playing anything through them. And let me know how that helps you with concentration and relaxation. Uh, I spotted this online. I thought it was quite nice. If you, let's say there's a really big bottle of beer and you're not planning on having all of it. You want to open the bottle but you want to put the lid back on without bending the lid. If the lid is bent, it doesn't really go back on the bottle. So what you do is you take a coin and that goes on top of the lid and then you remove using a, using a, um, what do you call a lid remover? A bottle opener. <laughs> you take the bottle opener and it just goes over the lid and the coin. You do it together. So the coin just on top of the lid and then you open it and it will keep the structural integrity of the lid it's quite nice and it just means it's intact and then when you're done with your beer or whatever the bottle is you can then just shove it back on top the other thing is if you don't have a bottle opener please don't use your teeth because a friend of mine she was a legend for being able to open bottles with her teeth and it was like a party trick and she just did it for years just like, oh what a legend she can open a bottle with her she now has lots of problems with her teeth so please never use your teeth as a tool it's such a bad idea you're going to crack the enamel you're going to have huge huge problems you might even lose your teeth altogether never never do that um, but what you need to do is you need to take the bottle and you just need to look around you and find any object that has a metal edge so a while ago I was in a park and I needed to open this beer and I just went over to the railings of the park and I've just found this little metal edge on the park. And what you do is you just position the 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 edge of the cap of the top of the bottle onto the edge of the railing. And then you simply bash it with your fist on top and you knock it off. And it works really well. I've used post boxes. I've used walls. I've used tables, edges of tables. I've used radiators, anything with an edge and the edge of the bottle lid and then 
just knock it with your just it's not slow it's quick you just give it a bash with your fist you're holding the bottle with one hand you bash the top of the lid and off it comes and there's your natural bottle opener um, nothing will stand between me and getting hold of that beer let me tell you um, i've never found a way of opening wine without a a, a uh, corkscrew though ngl that means not gonna lie but it's an abbreviation and it's the first letter of each of the words one after the other ngl it means not gonna lie it's quicker it saves time and it's very cool now what other bits and bobs have i got for you my lovelies how are we doing we're doing we're doing really well we're um we're rocketing through this um i've got a dilemma because i don't know whether to talk to you about stoicism shall i knock stoicism out should we do that yeah go on then i think so um i'd like to in our remaining time explain to you something called stoicism which is a very special ancient wisdom although what would be useful and i should do that now let me just quickly look this up because um, i want to find the author of this book that i have been reading on your behalf so if you give me one second my lovely you know i'll just i'm gonna let's keep it real today because i could like pause this but why don't we just spend time together and I'll, I'll just um I'll do two things at once. Yeah, there's a really nice book. I, I recommend it. I recommend that you go and um, buy a copy of this if you can or borrow a copy if you know someone that's got it. The book is called How to Be a Stoic by Massimo Piliucci. Isn't that a lovely, nice name? Massimo Piliucci, P-I-G-L-I-U-C-C-I, Massimo Piliucci. Why does everything Italian sound delicious? Can you imagine um, having a sort of a spaghetti alla Piliucci? Just sounds delicious. Or it could be a liqueur, couldn't it? It sounds amazing, but it's a man's name, like NGL. Um, How to be a Stoic, Massimo Piliucci. Anyway, lovely book. And it's um, an explanation of Stoicism, which is an ancient wisdom going back to 300 BC, before the big man arrived, JC. And let me power through this for you, because you're going to love it. The reason why we're doing this is because it's really good and it's really useful. I will make a sworn promise to you, which is I will always give you stuff I will always give you stuff that I think is good. Okay. I will never sell you wares that I think are substandard. Um, I read the book and I gleaned from it valuable things. And I want you to have those now. So it boils stoicism down to three things, which is desire, action and assent. Okay. Desire is what we should and should not aim for. Action is how we should behave and assent is how we should react to situations okay now it's very clear in stoicism and some of this by the way will sound very obvious but these obvious ideas began with these wonderful philosophers because we'll be talking a little bit later about um about um buddhism confucianism confucianism taoism hinduism all these lovely ancient philosophies and they're all rooted in a similar stoic mindset so not everything is within our control okay so this is so important you must focus 
on what you can influence and do not worry about the rest. Now, I know that you've heard that before. I've said it on this podcast. It's well known, isn't it? You control the things. You do something about the things you can control and don't worry about the things that you can't control. But we don't do that. We don't follow that advice. We're really bad. We worry nonstop about everything. We catastrophize. We've got 24-7 news. We've got social media. We are never switched off. Um, so you've got to work rigorously to live the stoic mindset. You've got to work hard every day to identify the things that you can control and the things you can't. And you must aggressively, aggressively ignore the things that you cannot control. Imagine you're on a hot air balloon, okay, and you need to make it light because it's sinking fast and you need to make it light. The things that you throw out are the things, this is a metaphor, you're welcome. Um, you've got to get rid of the things in your life that you can't control, okay? And let's imagine, for example, that... Okay, how about this? Let's imagine that you marry someone that has a kid already. Okay, so that's a stepchild. And let's call him Monty. And he's just awful. He's a dreadful kid, just a horrible human being and just a stain on humanity. Okay, but you love your partner and you married your partner and you want to spend the rest of your life with them. And you made, a, you made an assessment, which is my partner is worth putting up with Monty. Well, at that point, you have to accept Monty, right? There's nothing. He's just, this is, it's a, it's a negative in your life. That's it, right? And you must aggressively accept. Aggressive acceptance. I quite like that. I think I've just invented that. Aggressive acceptance of the things you can't control, right? Really, really aggressive. So I'm going to give you some examples now. Um, your weight, okay? Now, in the book, it talks about the fact that you you can, to a degree, control your weight. So let's say you go on, let's say you change your diet and you lose weight and, you know, it's just fantastic. You lost weight, you feel better, but you've still got this bit of flab around your belly and you've done everything. You've done the exercise and you've taken my advice and gone low carbohydrate. I'm not a doctor. If you're changing your diet, consult your doctor. I'm just a human being. But let me tell you, I love low carb and I think you just get shredded with it. But only my experience. But um Let's say that even if, because I know, I mean, I, I went low carb, I lost weight, but there's this is little, little bit of a chunk of fat around the belly. Okay. It just won't go. It won't budge. I've accepted that. So what I've done is I've managed to, I've lost weight. I've got, I've got to where I want to be. And there's a little, a little bit of love handles, right? Just a little hint of it. And other than starve myself, I don't think they're going to go. You just accept that. It's transformational. I've got myself in shape. It's never going to be 100%. So you can control it to a degree, but not fully. So let's imagine you are overweight and you you lose the weight and you get healthy and, you know, doctor's happy with, with, all, with all of your, you know, your numbers, your blood markers, all the rest of it. You take that. And yeah, that's good. I was able to lose a certain amount of weight, but I wasn't able to get, you know, I wasn't able to become Brad Pitt. Very few people are. And I think you'll find that even Brad Pitt is not able to be Brad Pitt because that's how it works. Um, how about this one? There's another really good example, right? Aggressive acceptance. I'm really happy with that. We literally, you and I have come up with that just now, and I'm going to write it down before I forget. Aggressive acceptance. It's not in the book. This is ours. Aggressive. By the way, this is why you always need a pen and paper on you. You've got your phone as well. You've got your notes on your phone, but I do like a little pen and paper. I've got a little notebook that fits in the back pocket of my jeans and I always have a pen on me. 
um, in case you get an idea or something, write it down because you'll never remember. Aggressive acceptance. Um, promotion, right? So what happened is that you, you're trying to get promoted. You've worked incredibly hard. You've worked so hard and you've done an amazing job, right? And you qualify for this emotion. But there are office politics at play, which are out of your control. You then do not get the promotion, okay? So you worked hard, you've earned it, you've done a great job, you've given your life. There's office politics you don't control, you do not get the promotion. What you must do is aggressive acceptance. You accept, accept the result calmly, is what the book says. Think like a stoic and you calmly go, do you know what? I gave it everything. I can't control those office politics. I did everything I needed to do. It didn't happen. That's okay. And you just take it and you walk away and you go back to work. You go back to your workstation and you just carry on working and you watch someone less good than you get that promotion. And the reason why is because if you keep that stoic mindset of understanding that you weren't going to, you weren't going to, um, prevail. I've got, it's another really quick Elton John story. Um, John Reed, his manager said that when it comes to Elton, if you are no longer viable, if you're no longer required, if your surplus requirements in, in Elton's, the court of King Elton, that is it, you're out. And um, John Reed said in, in a very enjoyable podcast recently that you, you, um, you better accept it because you can fight it, but you ain't going to change anything. Once you're out, you're out. And it's much healthier that way. And it's really good for you. And if you keep working hard, keep being brilliant, then maybe you'll get snapped up by, you'll get headhunted or you'll go and work somewhere else. And then the amazing ability that you've got, you'll go somewhere where they don't have the same office politics and you will prevail. But it wasn't going to do you any good worrying about that promotion because there were issues at play beyond your control. Think like a stoic. Um, commitment to moral virtue is something that's a big feature of the book. Um, a moral life is 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 more important than any material benefits. Um, more of our decisions should be guided by a commitment to moral virtue. This is a big part of Stoicism: is doing doing the right thing, even if you don't know how it's going to benefit you, even if it doesn't benefit you. It's just the right thing to do. So in the book, he goes, what, what is virtue? And he breaks it down into temperance, courage, justice and wisdom. So temperance is control your instinctive desires. OK, so let's imagine you like having cream cake. Well, then just have it on a Sunday. All right. And then Monday to Saturday, you don't have the cream cake. You control. And that's possible, isn't it? You can't tell me that it's not possible. I guarantee you, you can limit your cream cake to once a week. You can, you can. Now, if you're saying to me, no, I can't. I have to have cream cake every day. Um, let me ask you a question. If I paid you, if I offered to pay you a million pounds for not having cream cake for a week, do you think you'd stay off it? And then you get a check for a million pounds. Do you think you would stay off the cream cake? Yes, you know you would. So that means it's possible. So imagine you just have the cream cake once a week and then the rest of the week, you control your instinctive desire and you're not having that cream cake. So temperance, 
it's actually, it's a really good muscle. It's a great muscle. To, it ties in with a previous podcast in which I said, do it or don't do it. So in other words, if you're slightly addicted to something, you're better off just not having it. It's the easiest way. It's the best addiction fix, just like none or nine, as I like to call it. But anyway, control your instinctive desires. Temperance is really good. Um, it says in the book, you know, don't don't flirt with a married person, something like that. Um, don't snack during the day, what, whatever it is, you know, you go to the cinema, but you don't have the Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Temperance, a little bit of self-control. It's good. It's a good thing. Um, rules might help you. So you'll just, you can just say that for these days, I'm going to be very controlled. And then, you know, sometimes people do that with diets, don't they? They have a cheat day. So um, yeah, make make that a daily thing where you flex your own muscles and you go, you know what? I'm not going to have that thing that's not good for me. Then you have courage, um, which gives us the mental strength to act well under difficult circumstances. Standing up to a bully is an example of deploying courage. So be brave. Just go for it. You know, pluck up the courage. Just do it. Just feel the fear and do it anyway. Walk through that fire. Show courage. So this is good, isn't it? Temperance, courage justice treating others fairly and with dignity be fair be like the best ever judge in the court case that is your life a colleague messes up and you go don't worry about it just try not to do it again be fair be reasonable when they do it 10 times you're like i'm sorry you've done it 10 times you're fired that's still fair but you've given them a few a few opportunities to change their ways treat others fairly and with dignity um, and uh, number four is wisdom. And Socrates said that this is the chief good in human beings. And it's the only human ability which is good to have in all circumstances, whether you're rich or poor. It's um, easier to handle either situation if you have wisdom. You need wisdom, whether you're rich or poor. It is a universal good. Um, I think it ties in with actually not from the book, but our earlier chat about losing is learning. Um, that's where you get the wisdom. I think things going wrong is what gives you wisdom because you're like, oh, yeah, do you remember when I did that thing? When I substituted the goalkeeper at halftime, never again. NGL, three letters, first three of the words, one after the other. It's cool. Um, and that's why wisdom right this is a great thing about getting older this is one of, if you're one of my lovely older listeners or viewers you can embrace getting older because it makes you better in some ways i mean your knees are worse and your teeth but your uh, your memory bank of experience grows which is quite often why ceos of companies politicians good ones sometimes they're a bit older you know because they've been there they've seen it they've done it they've got the t-shirt so see if you can build your wisdom, you know, by living life to the full, trying things, making mistakes. That's going to turn you into a wise person. If you avoid trying anything, you're not going to gain that wisdom. You're not going to learn anything. I mean, let's imagine, for example, you know, those people that like start businesses and you've got Steve is just on, you know, it's the seventh business in a row that he's started his new business. They always fail. Well, I think Steve will get there in the end, you know, because every time he starts a new business, he brings the IP the knowledge 
that he learned from the last debacle. Steve Jobs' career was based on failure. He, his first go at Apple was a disaster. He got thrown out of the company and he came back having learned a lot outside of the business and then bang, they had their second coming. And the rest is history. Uh, but yeah, I do think wisdom is is really, really great. Um, I'm a very big fan of David Letterman, the broadcaster and comedian. And if you watch his work, if you watch his comedy and his show, reruns of his show, uh, his his instinct, his comedic instincts, his judgment of an audience and his judgment of what questions to ask is really his superpower. I don't know what, what's important about him is not his his um, necessarily his jokes and his comedy. It's that wonderful instinct, the judgment that he's got, which makes him such a great broadcaster. And um, it's a lovely thing. So why don't you do that? Why don't you you know how Arnold Schwarzenegger's got his muscles. Why don't you why don't you do that with you? You could be the Arnold Schwarzenegger of wisdom. So you're just this ridiculous wise machine. But it's only going to happen if you expose yourself to the rigors of life. If you expose yourself to pain, you befriend torture. And you make pain and discomfort your companion every second of the day. You're going to be a machine. Um tying in with uh with um, this Stoic philosophy, and this ties in with Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Hinduism, is um, is to develop your humanity. So that it's kind of number five after temperance, courage, justice, and wisdom is humanity, love and kindness, transcendence, hope and spirituality, connection. Uh, these are really good things to aim for, and there's that wonderful. Um, writer Malala Yousafzai who is Pakistani she had a blog and in 2012 she was on a school bus and she got shot by the Taliban and she wrote about it she survived and she actually um achieved in Pakistan the rights of young girls to receive an education she became a campaigner pro-education because what happened is the Taliban had tried to stop her learning and um, she turned it the other way and she made a real good out of what was a very tough personal situation um, and forgive my slightly sketchy overview of her story which I think you'll agree I've not given to you in capacious detail and but uh, the headline is that some bad stuff happened to her. She worked through it and she made the world a better place as a result. She's truly heroic. Um, the other thing that the Stoics talk about is, let me just make sure let's come back to this uh, thing, see how we're doing. Um, oh, blimey, we're, we've got to wrap things up shortly. Uh, role models. Um, find role models that illustrate optimal behavior. So it's a really good thing. Um to do you the 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 roman seneca was a big fan of of, of, of looking up to wise people uh, a good example of a wonderful role model in seneca's time was marcus cato who was a senator in rome he was a military commander very successful and he ate marched and slept alongside his men okay he wasn't just in a posh tent up the road he ate marched and slept alongside his men he was incorruptible. He was an administrator and a tax collector. So he had access to money and he didn't nick any of it. And uh, so he was a very, very noble guy and a great role model. 
So we must lead our lives with a little more virtue by taking virtuous figures like Marcus Cato and, and following their path. Um, Stoicism also involves a calm and considered attitude to death. So Stoicism looks at the wheat plant, for example. Wheat grows, it ripens and it dies, and so do we. So we must not waste time and energy fearing our death. We must constantly remind ourselves, and this happens in, in the Christian faith as well. I'm sure it's all religions, to be honest. But I remember my priest, I was raised a Catholic and we had an excellent priest called Father Dominic. And he did this particular sermon and he just said, always be ready. Always be ready to go. You never know when God will call you. Always be ready. And so the Stoics thought that too. Um, don't fear death. Remind yourself of your imper impermanence. Um, going back to Steve Jobs, I know a lot of Steve Jobs, a lot of Elton today. Hope you don't mind. Steve Jobs said that knowing you're going to die is a real superpower. And he got cancer. And when he got cancer, he realized, OK, well, I'm on borrowed time. So he got a lot done. Winston Churchill's father died when he was quite young. And so Winston Churchill had a fear of dying early, which is why he had such a productive life. Ironically, he lived very long. He didn't die early. But something that drove Churchill was a sense that life is very short and very permanent. And he better get on with it because he's going to die. And he worried that he, he would inherit his father's health issues and he'd die early. Um, so it's better to accept death, they say, the Stoics. And it's better to appreciate life. So you accept death and appreciate life. So when it comes to things and people to which you're attached, you should remind yourself of their nature. OK, so when you kiss your partner or your child or a friend, you're kissing a mortal. OK, you're kissing someone that will be gone. And the Stoics believe that you won't be so upset if they are taken from you. It makes them more precious, but it makes the loss of them easier to take. And it's true because you do when you hear about people that do die. Let's say someone's parents a mother or a father dies they'll sometimes say i i just i never said goodbye or i never said i love you or i just wish i whereas if you think you know if you're with someone that you love and they're just off to work you just say i love you before they go to work because they're mortal and you cannot count and this is a bit depressing and dark especially for the end of the uh, of the podcast but you know a loved one goes off to work or whatever are they coming back well probably but you can't be sure so off they go and you just go, by the way, before you go, have a great day and I love you. And then if they don't come back, you know, what was the last thing you said? I love you. That's going to make it easier. So it's really, really good. Um, it's, uh, yeah, appreciating care and appreciation in life, taking mortality seriously. Live with death, folks. This ain't a rehearsal. We are on borrowed time. Pause and reflect. Um, let's say somebody insults you or... Uh, you um no no let's go get this right um oh yes let's say you're on a train and somebody elbows you in in the back and it really hurts okay what you got to do is you've got to practice avoiding having an immediate reaction to a provocation so let's say someone's or oh, you idiot or they, they they accidentally bunch you in the ribs you take a deep breath maybe you step away you go somewhere else, walk around the block, come back, give it a few seconds. OK. And the other thing, and it's a really, really clever idea, this, which is um, if something bad happens to you. Put yourself in the shoes of others. 
So let's say you've got a glass that you really love, right? It's a treasured, very special glass and you love it and you drop it on the floor and it smashes, okay? And you're going to be really upset. You're going to be really angry and furious with yourself. But just imagine if somebody else dropped it. You'd be like, oh, well, it's just a glass, isn't it? So it can really help you with the trauma to just imagine someone else's reaction to it. It's an interesting hack that, isn't it? You should try. I've been thinking it through and I do quite like the idea of it. Um, let's say you get fired, all right? Well, you're like, oh, this is a disaster. It's the end of the world. How am I going to pay the rent and everything? But if a friend told you that they've been fired, you'll be like, well, you'll get something else. So weirdly, when it happens, when anything bad happens to someone else, you, you're normally, you normally, you normally take it in proportion, don't you? If something bad happens to someone else, you'll be all right. You'll be okay. Whereas when it's you, you're like, it's the end of the world. So what you do is you put yourself in the shoe of others. Anything bad happens to you, just quickly think through what it would be like if it happened to someone else and then let that be your reaction. It's a really unusual hack. It's a really interesting trick, but try it because it's excellent. Remember, you, you get fired. If it's someone else, you would say to them, you'll get something, just apply. You've got good contacts, you've got a good CV, you'll be all right. Crap job anyway, you get a better job. So... And the last aspect is invest in good friendships. Three types of friends. Friendship of utility, friendship of pleasure, and friendship of the good. Friendship of utility utility would be your hairdresser. Friendship of pleasure would be drinking buddies or a book club. And friendship of the good is somebody who is like a soulmate. You have an affinity in their personality. You can just be with them. You can go for a walk. You can drink a cup of tea. You can just be in their presence. And that is the friendship of the good. They're all valuable, but important to understand which is which. And of course, you want to invest most in the friendships of the good. Um, separate those people. and Don't confuse the hairdresser with the person that you've got a real affinity with, because that's a special connection. You can really grow spiritually with that person. Try to have elevated conversations so not concerned with what was sort of easy, sort of trivial stuff, but more challenging topics. So not talking necessarily about celebrities and reality TV shows, but maybe bigger topics like art, life, culture, you know, meaty things. That's a lovely thing to do. Right. Well, look, um, it's been really nice chatting with you. A bit of a beast today, this one. Um, really enjoyed your company. We've talked about a lot of things. I hope it's all helpful. Uh, think like a stoic. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. A stoic life. It's austere, but life is austere and that's good. And let's own that. This podcast is all about owning the discomfort, owning the fact that life is temporary, that we're just blowing through, that life is hard, that there is a resistance, that there are challenges, that it's all just an uphill struggle. You accept it and you own it and you love it. And it's a buzz. And if life wasn't difficult, more people would be doing it. Have a great week and I'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>